1: As we come to the end of 2021, perhaps with a modicum of disbelief that the year has flown by so quickly, perhaps you are looking back and evaluating the year. If you're into New Year's resolutions, they are often based on what has happened or not happened in the previous year. And as we often do, and as you perhaps even do in your office, your boss might do this for you. You look back and you evaluate so that moving forward, you can do things in a way that is more efficient, to get more bang for your buck, as they say, to do things more productively. And we understand that we want to use our time, we want to use our resources, we want to use the short time that we have here on earth wisely, to the best of our ability, to the most profitable maximum that we can. And that rings true as well for our service and our spiritual gifts, and that's what I want to talk about this morning as we continue in 1 Corinthians and continue in our study of the gift of prophecy versus the gift of tongues, specifically how one spiritual gift edifies the many and the other edifies just oneself. How can we be most productive, most efficient when serving others? Well, turn with me to First Corinthians chapter 14, and I believe we will find the answer here. First Corinthians chapter 14. We find ourselves in verses 13 through 19. We are studying verse by verse through the epistle of First Corinthians. First 1 Corinthians 14,13 through 19 is our passage this morning. Paul writes, "Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret." For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at the giving of your thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. This morning we see four directives to keep spiritual gifts profitable. Four directives to keep spiritual gifts profitable. We find this within the specific context, of course, of the Corinthians misusing the gift of tongues, the broader principle of focusing on just one person, yourself, or focusing on many. The first directive to keep spiritual gifts profitable is entreat meaning, entreat meaning. I find this in verse 13, which I'll read for you again. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue Pray that he may interpret. We've spoken a lot over the past few weeks of the ineffectiveness of tongues in edifying people for the simple fact that they are unintelligible. It is a foreign language, they don't understand. You cannot build up someone else with your words, or even God's words for that matter, if they do not know what you are saying. However, we have also seen several times that the one caveat would be if there is an interpreter, specifically in the context of sign gifts or miraculous gifts, someone with the gift of interpretation. This is someone with the spiritual gift of interpreting so as to translate what's being said by someone exercising the gift of tongues. So one is miraculously speaking in another language, The other is translating that individual into our language. And we see here that it's possible that the person with the spiritual gift of tongues could also have the gift of interpretation as well. But the point being that the tongue speaker should seek and desire interpretation in order to utilize this spiritual gift for its God-intended purpose which is to edify others, not just to edify oneself, not just to personally grow closer to the Lord, not definitely, as the Corinthians were doing, definitely not to brag or to show off or to draw sinful, arrogant attention to oneself. The connection to where we ended two weeks ago prior to our Christmas service in verse 12 is clear with the word, therefore, Because verse 12 spoke of seeking to abound in edifying the church. That's where we ended last time. Seek not just to edify, seek to abound, to overflow in edification of other people within the church. And another principle that we've seen is that, whether miraculous or ordinary, some spiritual gifts have more impact and more value than other spiritual gifts. And that's okay. That's the way God has designed it. Preaching to a large group at one time will be more effective in a 45-minute section than someone whose spiritual gift involves one-on-one ministry. Both are great, but one has more impact. Now, among the same gifts, tongues have the most limited value in that they actually need another miraculous spiritual gift for them to be effective at all. So the first way to make spiritual gifts profitable is to make sure they make sense. This is keeping in line with Paul's theme of, of course, edification. When it comes to our spiritual gifts today, the same principle applies. Go back to God's Word, but God's Word that is clear, God's Word that is accurate, God's Word that is applied and interpreted properly. I was talking to someone about a principle that I've noticed in my own life and in the church in general this past week. I was talking this past week, I've noticed this principle throughout my Christian life. Have you ever noticed that if your non-Christian friend or coworker, relative, whoever it may be, as long as they're not a Christian, they do something that's maybe a little immoral. It bothers you. You get upset. But you get more upset when a Christian does the same thing. In fact, sometimes when the non-Christian does it, you don't even care. You don't mind it. And that's because, and rightly so, there's an expectation that Christians will behave within the boundaries of the Bible. When a believer steps out of bounds, then we are taken aback. We are confused. Perhaps we're put in the position where we are convicted by the Holy Spirit that we must now have that uncomfortable conversation and confront their sin. But an unbeliever, we expect it of them. They don't have that standard. They don't have a king of kings with whom they have sworn allegiance. And so, it bothers us when Christians act that way, and rightly so. It goes against their nature. It goes against who they are. It's like pulling up to a McDonald's drive-thru and the voice comes out and says, we have a special on Whoppers today. Would you like one? It's the wrong place. The wrong place thing. It doesn't match. When it comes to service among believers, the same principle applies. When someone serves in a way that goes beyond the parameters of Christlikeness, which you understand includes not serving at all, then we're confused. Things don't make sense. It's not edifying. If they were to promote sin to somehow in their minds encourage some sort of obedience. That doesn't make sense. Perhaps pushing the line a little bit with this illustration, but I remember in college, my closest friend struggled with homosexuality. And another believer in his small group actually said, I had considered buying you pornography to help you with this issue. That doesn't make sense. It's confusing. It's out of bounds with Scripture. And it is the same thing with tongues. If people don't understand, and they don't understand because you're misusing the Word of God, or you're taking principles from society, or secular psychology, or whatever it may be, it's not encouraging. It doesn't build up. There's no meaning there. Or if there is, it's a false meaning. So like with tongues, spiritual service has to have meaning. And that meaning is provided by the language of Scripture. It falls, it must fall within the bounds of Scripture. So seek and entreat meaning in your service. The second directive to keep spiritual gifts profitable is engage mentally. Engage mentally. Look at verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So when someone would speak in tongues, it would be the Holy Spirit moving their personal spirit, which in essence is the case of every spiritual gift. But here Paul is equating praying only in the spirit as speaking in tongues without an interpreter. He says the mind is unfruitful in this situation. And the key is that word unfruitful. It's not that the mind is uninvolved. It is. But the exercise of the gift of tongues produces no fruit of the mind either in the speaker or the listener. It is unfruitful without an interpreter. Literally fruitless, sterile, profitless. And this goes back to our understanding of what edification is, what it means within the church. It is building up others Logically, spiritually. Logically meaning based on the truth and our understanding of it and application to our own lives. It is not an uncontrolled or ecstatic, unconscious act as is involved in the claim of modern charismatics who think they are speaking in tongues. They say they go in a trance. They don't understand what's happening. If the mind is not engaged, there is no fruit. The brain is very important in the Christian life. It is not all just spirit and emotions. Edification through a spiritual gift involves an understanding of what is happening, a mental acceptance of the facts, and then a logical response as you live that out. None of which can happen solely with the gift of tongues. So here, without an interpreter, the mind is not engaged. It is fruitless. There is no rational communication that can be accepted and applied. So what do we do? Do we merely engage the mind? No. Verse 15 tells us that both are to be involved. He writes, what is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also not one at a time, but together. And then he goes on and adds singing. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. In all worship, true worship, biblical worship, Christian worship, both the spirit and the mind need to be engaged. We know he has spoken about tongues in prayer, but now he brings in singing. Singing, as you know, was a common part of Jewish worship and was carried over to be a key part of Christian worship as well. Overall, what Paul is doing is he is making the case of logic and understanding in corporate worship, logic and understanding at church. When it comes to prayer, this is a wonderful exercise of the mind when we pray. We are not to pray mindlessly. We are not to pray purely emotionally. We are to think through the scriptures when we praise God. We are to praise Him for what is true. We are to praise Him for His character. We are to go back with... Often, it would, we would do well to go back with a fine-tooth comb over our day before we confess our sins so that we can confess them all and confess them specifically. We need to understand God's will when we make supplication or make requests for ourselves and others. Understanding truly what it is that God desires of us and that some things as we see them may not truly be as they seem. For example, yes, we need to pray for physical comfort for those who are hurting, those who are sick, but not at the expense of praying for spiritual growth or their salvation. It may be that God is bringing a trial to shape another believer or bring an unbeliever to a saving knowledge of him. That does not mean that we pray, we, that does not mean that we don't pray for healing or comfort, but we pray with an understanding again with truth as revealed in Scripture because this is what Scripture says, that He uses trials to grow and perfect people. It may be that your, what you desire is not in line with God's specific will and you don't know that and so we pray, but we pray loosely, understanding that no is an answer to prayer, oftentimes. And of course, knowing God's Word keeps us from praying in a way that violates or asks for things or requests things that are against His revealed general will, also known as the Word of God. To pray with the mind also means praying in faith. Faith engages the spirit as well as the mind. Faith is clinging to God with your heart, but also with an understanding of why, because He is who He is, and how. Praying for something must include an understanding that God is sovereign, that God can do it. Meaning this, when you pray for, with faith, don't just pray that God will do things that you know that you can accomplish by your own strength. That is relying on his sovereignty, but it's not praying with faith. Pray bold prayers, saturated with faith. Don't pray that your friend who's already said he's going to come to church will come to church. Pray that they'll all come to church. Don't just pray for opportunities for the guy in the cubicle next to you. Pray for opportunities with the entire corporation in all 18 locations. We can do that today with technology. Pray with faith. Pray for our daily bread, yes. Pray for the little things. That's reliance on Him. But is it really in your heart of hearts, in your mind, a reliance on Him? Or an understanding that the paycheck comes and can pay that grocery bill? When we pray, we must pray with faith. And faith includes an understanding of what faith is and the one we have faith in. Praying with the mind also includes thanksgiving. Not just when you think things are going well, not just when you feel okay emotionally. Thanksgiving is a key part of asking God for help or provision. It is always connected in prayer. Whenever, you, whenever the, the New Testament tells us to ask God of something, it also tells us to be thankful. And you say, well, but the reason I'm praying for that thing is because I don't have anything to be thankful for. It's because you're not engaging the mind. You're just engaging the emotions and you don't feel right. And so your emotions are so overwhelming you that you can't think. You can't even see the innumerable blessings that you have just in your bedroom. Sheets, bed, floor, roof, heating, air conditioning. Being able to hear your children laugh or even cry in the other room that they're alive. That you have the ability to walk out of that room and have so much in your fridge that you can complain illogically, that there's nothing to eat. Because we say there's nothing to eat, that means there's nothing you want to eat. I don't think there's anyone in this room that literally has nothing to eat. If you do, please talk to us. We'll help. I'm serious. But no one's in that position. But we act like it, don't we? Because we feel like things are going badly. We feel overwhelmed, and I didn't have time to go to the grocery store, so I feel like we're starving when you have a pantry full of food. We must engage the mind so that we are thankful. Because prayer is more than just an emotional response to favorable circumstances or unfavorable circumstances. It is an intelligent, mindful response to who He is and what He can do and what He is doing. And might I add, what he has done. Christmas, anyone? It is an intellectual agreement with what he has revealed in his word about his own character. Yes, loving and gracious, provider and sustainer, baby Jesus born for our sins. But when you engage the mind you also remember He is holy, He is righteous, and He is wrathful. And so we need to be careful not just with the low emotions, but the high emotions when we come and approach Him in an uncontrolled, irreverent way. Engage the mind. It's like you hearing good news and you're dancing down the hallway of your office and your mind tells you that's the CEO and so you stop dancing and you start walking properly. It's the same thing. Engage the mind. Christian life is not dark and dreary and and not fun. He wants you to be overjoyed. He wants you to dance, whether it's in your mind or with your feet, in happiness and joy. But you understand what I'm saying. We must remember who He is. Hebrews twelve twenty eight through 29 says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Serve Him, but with reverence and awe, remembering who He is. Praying with the Spirit only... Comes with emotional pleading, perhaps even blame shifting, blaming him, angry at other people, angry at God even. Praying with the spirit and the mind comes with respect, adoration, and awe. Paul goes on to include singing in this spirit mind worship. In line with their overemphasis on the spirit and tongues for that matter, the singing of the charismatics is highly emotional using, perhaps abusing the fact that melodies can move the emotions even without words. This is dangerous. We must be careful. Engage the mind and the spirit. Unfortunately, many charismatic churches today, overly repeating verses and phrases to the point of being mind-numbing, supposed to drive you into some sort of spirit-filled, ecstatic trance, But that's not biblical singing because it doesn't engage the mind. And without the mind, it is not true worship. Biblical singing involves the mind. It reaches the intellect as well as stirs the emotions. Emotions are to be stirred because of what your mind understands. It is a response to truth. Singing with the mind means thinking about and understanding the words. It means, for example, as we did last week, projecting lyrics that we can read and meditate upon when only hand chimes are being played. It means, as our worship leaders do so well, slowly teaching new songs, repeating the first verse so you are not so preoccupied with trying to learn the right tune that you can't focus on the truth of the words. Spirit, yes, but also the mind also the mind. What happens if you only have spirit? That's answered in our next directive to keep spiritual gifts profitable. Number three, edify the masses. Edify the masses or the multitudes. Look at verses 16 and 17. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. Here we understand that what Paul said in verse 14 and 15 is not merely about personal worship, but continues the theme of edifying other people. Again, When Paul refers to doing something only in the Spirit, he is talking about doing it in tongues in this specific context. The ungifted here that he mentions or the outsider in the ESV literally means a layman. It's someone who lacks a technical or expert knowledge of something as compared to someone who is an expert in that field. In this context, it's simply someone who doesn't understand the language spoken when someone is practicing the gift of tongues. So here's the scene. Someone has the gift of tongues. He is using it. He is giving thanks, blessing, used interchangeably here, in the midst of the church gathering. But again, he's doing it in a foreign language. And so Paul asks, in that scenario... How can someone who is ungifted, who doesn't understand that language, hear you and then say, Amen, if they haven't understood what you've said? Amen being the Jewish and Christian practice of audibly expressing agreement with whatever has just been said or prayed. It's a word taken from the worship in the Jewish synagogues that indicates a wholehearted response and endorsement. Again, of someone else's prayer or declaration. It literally means, so let it be. And it is transliterated. That's a word that becomes a word in another language. They just take the sound of it and and create a word out of it. For example, in Albanian, the word for computer is computery. They didn't create their own word. They just took our word and took the same sounds. It's transliterated from the Hebrew word truth, or truly, or verity. Now, though it's not Paul's main point, it is assumed that if you say amen in the church, you have paid attention to what is being said. This is true also at the dinner table, also at small group when you pray, whatever it is. It goes back to engaging the mind. We need to be careful when we're in a place like this where we are familiar uh, with the weekly schedule of what's going to happen in any given worship service, when we are familiar with many of the songs, we can sing them without really even thinking about them, that we do not go through the legalistic, yes, legalistic motions of saying amen in church because you heard the words in Jesus' name but you haven't paid attention to what was prayed. You can't agree with it if you haven't heard it. Again, Paul's point assumes that in corporate worship, your mind and your ears are fully engaged along with your spirit. His his specific point is, quite simply, that it goes beyond a matter of someone not understanding what's going on in a worship service. If someone speaks in tongues. It involves someone not understanding what's going on in a worship service who should understand. Thereby robbing him of the opportunity to exalt his Savior. To be sure, the person who is giving thanks is doing just that. Giving thanks, Paul says. You are giving thanks well enough. You're doing it. The problem is the other person is not edified. And here we see one of the answers to the question... Why do we have people pray out loud in small group at church? What's the point of corporate prayer? To edify others, and at the end, by giving them an opportunity to agree with your prayers and thanksgiving by saying amen. It's not just something we say. It means something. Sometimes we say so many things at the end of a certain dialogue or conversation that it loses its meaning all right, see you later. I love you. Bye. Did I say I love you? You're just so used to saying it that it doesn't really mean anything anymore. I understand for many of you it does, but you get my point. And sometimes it's the same thing with amen. Amen just means, all right, I can... My neck's stiff. I've been leaning over so much. Amen just means, all right, lunchtime. Amen means, yes, I can stretch my legs, whatever it is. We are saying something in response to what has just been said, or we should be. We need to edify others. We need to pray out loud. And what Paul addresses here is a direct attack on anyone who thinks that attending a worship service is just about your relationship with God alone. The God and me mentality versus a God and all of us mentality. God and you, yes. In the stillness and quietness of your prayer closet, of your home, your drive to work, at work, wherever it is. But here, among the body of believers, it's not just God and you, it's God and all of us. That's Paul's point. We need to come together and voice our praise of God so that all can fittingly and understandably agree. That's true not just of those up front, but in our interactions with others, in casual conversation and fellowship as well, to be able to affirm in your heart as they share what God has done with them this year, that you can affirm in your heart as they seek to have greater faith and greater service, godliness, repentance, whatever it is in 2022 whatever the situation to engage the spirit and the mind so that our edification so that our corporate gatherings so that our one-on-one conversations with other believers is edifying and fruitful and faithful and powerful edify the masses This is about spiritual benefit for you, yes, but also for others. Not just making friends, not just help the visitors or the shy feel welcome to our church, not just making conversation because you feel awkward, not talking to anyone, but seeking genuine spiritual benefit. And that brings us to our final directive to keep spiritual gifts profitable. Affect maturity. We've seen entreat meaning, engage mentally, edify the masses or multitudes, and finally affect maturity. That's what edification is. Verses 18 and 19. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Not all of you, notice, but you all. Okay? Carl appreciates that. Verse 19. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. We often see Paul finding common ground in his epistles with those he is correcting or rebuking. Here, he explains that he speaks in tongues also, along with those in Corinth who do. In fact, he says, I speak in tongues more than any of you do. In other words, he's not criticizing the use of spiritual gifts. He appreciates them. What's more, he shows that he understands not only the gifts, but the experience of using the gifts. Another layer to this is that he's showing that he has the authority to say what he's saying because he does get it. He's done it. But he balances the gift with seeking benefit for the church in worship. And so he would practice what he's preaching. You wouldn't speak in tongues out of term or without an interpreter if there's no benefit to the believers there. On the other end of the spectrum, nobody can accuse Paul of being envious of the Corinthians for their ability to speak in tongues. He does it more than they. And as such, along with his roles of apostle and brother in Christ, he has the right to pass judgment on how they are misusing the gift. And he concludes in verse 19 by explaining that five words understood by the church is far more beneficial than 10,000 in a foreign language. Five, the number five was a round number used by the Jews. It simply means several or a few, a handful. 10,000 is the largest number for which the Greeks have a word. It's used when speaking of something countless or innumerable. He doesn't mean literally 10,000. He just means a very large number, the largest number they have a word for. I think a gazillion would be something we would say. You, just, you, you don't mean like go count, right? You don't mean he literally has a, a gazillion whatever, Legos or whatever, like my kids do. You just mean it's overflowing. It's too much. The point is, no matter how much is said, if it is gibberish to the listener, there's no benefit. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand this, right? You're not edified when someone's just babbling, even if it is a known language with meaning as we saw last time. But you don't understand it. And what's very important is this phrase, in the church. There is a time for seeking self-edification and encouragement, which Paul has indicated the gift of tongues does for the one practicing the gift. There's a time to focus only on one's own spiritual growth and relationship with God, but not at church. Additionally, at church, there should be a willingness to put aside personal glory and selfish pursuits for the sake of benefiting others. And I say this because we know that's what the Corinthians were doing. In their exhibition of tongues. And whether that's how you use your spiritual gift or coming into church with a mindset of serving and sacrificing for others. Because it is natural, it doesn't take effort for us to serve and sacrifice for ourselves. Some would argue that's instinct. Others, me, would argue that's total depravity, it's sin. And in certain contexts, that's fine. Here you go, sir. Please uh, take everything. You know, you know, you get mugged, and you're kind of look. You follow him. Like, can I give you anything more? You need a place to stay. I mean, you know, you don't do that. You just look out for yourself. You don't want to get stabbed. Okay. That's okay. You can do that. That's okay. Uh, Even in the great passage that. Dennis read for us this morning. It doesn't say completely neglect your own interests, but also look out for the interests of others. There is a time and place for you to make sure that you are healthy, that you eat, that you survive, that you have heat that you pay for that can turn on, things like that. But just not in this context. You say, well, so for us, I get here a little early, so from 10.45 to around 12.45 on Sundays, what's the context here? Let me put it this way. As a Christian, where, where there are others, others should be your focus. Where there are others, others should be your focus. Now again, there are certain contexts where there are Others that it is right to focus only on yourself. A classroom, for example. Okay? Let's not nitpick. You understand my point here. Edifying others. Their edification, their spiritual growth, their spiritual maturity should be your aim, should be your goal. You're praying, you're worshiping you're focusing on yourself and your relationship with God, Your park, you walk through the lobby, you're still praying, you're edifying yourself, and you walk in the door, and there's other people at church with you, suddenly that shifts to them. Your focus on yourself turns off, and your focus on others turns on. The reality is you cannot grow someone. You cannot force them to do things. You cannot force God to do things. But God gives us the tools to offer them so that all of that can take place. Minister with God's Word, as we've seen. Minister as God desires. Minister in a way that God ordains so that He... And that person or those people with their relationship with God can then work on the edification. This applies to anything you do. The principle applies to our daily lives and our service and our focus on others. To be able to say truly and with conviction, I would rather give five minutes serving the church than 10,000 on myself. To truly live in a way that you would say, I would rather spend five dollars helping someone else than 10,000 on myself. I would rather spend five days encouraging others than 10,000 days on paid vacation. This is what we need to strive for. To edify others. The underlying attitude is of selflessness in seeking the edification of others. Others. Is this about the gift of tongues? Yes. But because they were using them in a way that neglected others. And that's the point. How do you view life? How do you view the body of Christ? As one in 20 other things that you give a parcel of time to? Or is the body of Christ your overarching motivation in terms of your effort and sacrifice and service because your overarching goal and aim in life is to glorify God? And he has said outside of worshiping him, the primary way to do that is by serving other Christians. What about evangelism? What about non-Christians? Yes, absolutely. But it is very clear in Scripture that that is secondary to the edification of other believers. And we cannot miss the fact That God is sovereign, not just over the mountains and the rain, but over that singular decision or circumstance, whether negative or positive, that ended up with you attending this church next to that person across the aisle from that individual to whom you are to focus on for the edification and the glory of God others. You have, if you are a Christian, a spiritual gift. So how do you maximize, if you want to put it this way, how do you engage in a New Year's resolution for 2022 to make your spiritual gift, to make you as an individual the most profitable as God has ordained in your relationships with other Christians? We'll start with entreating meaning engaging mentally, edifying the multitudes, and affecting maturity. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only... How will the one who fills the place of of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind, so that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a spiritual gift. Thank you for the clarity of your word and that you've made it clear that it's not just about a spiritual gift that no longer exists, but it's about how we view others, how we serve, how we use our spiritual gift that you have so graciously given us and empowered us to use. I pray that you'd help us to learn how to focus on others more, but also focus on others so that we seek not just their happiness or favorable circumstances, but their spiritual edification so that they might more deeply worship you, honor you, be like you. May we pursue and seek our own spiritual growth and edification, but when the time is appropriate, may we seek that in other people. May we be a church and where the members produce a synergistic effect where we can worship and glorify you together not just when we're together corporately, but also because of how we engage with one another so that even as individuals, we worship you more, better, deeply, more biblically because of the edification of others when we are with them. May we be this kind of church for your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand together as we close.